Yo, and welcome into week nine of pre-gaming the SEC, brought to you by Walk On Sports Bistro, walk-owns.com. Find a location near you, and chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, as I say every week, there is a location that's already close to you because you live in SEC country, but if there's not, just know one is on the way very, very soon. And I did pause when I said week nine because, Doring, your famous line is... Yes, let me step in. I can't believe how by, how fast it's flying by, Hess. I mean, it's just uh, we're, we're almost into November. I can't believe it, bro. Yeah, I actually don't love it uh, because we oh. just spend so much time waiting, hoping, trying to figure out a way to pass the time to get here. It finally gets here, and then it does truly fly by. I, I don't, so I'm, I don't, like, I'm not going to make fun it. of you. I, get I don't it. love it, but I do love it. I mean, we got some tremendous games down the stretch in the final five weeks of the season. I mean, some of the the... Uh, matchups and, and really the 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 lack of clarity we have. I don't remember as much like as many possibilities for you know championship matchups and for you know for college football playoffs berths. Like I, I don't remember this late in the year having so many different things that are possible at this late date in the season. I'm with you and, and on both sides of the conference yeah. as well, East and West, not just one side. It feels yeah. like it's been a long time since we've had this much intrigue on both sides of it in both divisions, right? No doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a uh, pretty much a two-horse race for a <laughs> long time. And yeah. uh, now, you know, I, I, I don't... I think we were kind of solidified in this idea heading into the season that it was going to simply be Alabama and Georgia again. And not only do we have competition, as you mentioned, with, in, the, in the East with Tennessee... You know, basically stating we've been arguing who the third best team in the conference is all year. It's Alabama right now. I mean, we're, we're talking about two of the top teams in the country coming from the Eastern Division. Um, all we talked about in the offseason was just how strong this SEC West was going to be, maybe historically strong from top to bottom. And yeah. it's actually the East that's kind of stolen the show to this point. So lots to, uh, to unpack over the next couple of weeks in the Eastern Division. And I feel like the West, it's just a battle of, of uh, Western Division teams over the next couple of weeks that uh, hopefully will give us some clarity on that side of the uh, conference as well. Yeah, can't wait to get a little last call. Can't wait to preview those games as well. But as you know, before we get there, we always have a hold my beer segment here to lead off pre-gaming the SEC. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And you know me, CD, Big Turp, you know me. I feel like at least I hope our listeners know me. I typically don't try to go LSU Time and time again, I try to not be a homer. Don't look at what I'm wearing. That's that's like the only clothes that I own. <laughs> I try not to do that. I try to go elsewhere here on this podcast, when I'm on SEC radio with you, when I'm on ESPNU. Like, you know, you never want to be the guy who's always a homer. But I'm going to go back-to-back weeks, hold my beer with an LSU Tiger. This time, though, it's not a player, although I feel like I could go to Jaden Daniels. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to defensive coordinator Matt House. Yeah. Yeah. Matt House has done a fantastic job, which is so hard in college football of adjusting within the game, not just at halftime. Now he's done it at halftime, but throughout the game, he has adjusted in multiple games. I look at Mississippi State where LSU's down 13 to nothing. Mm-hmm. I look at Auburn, they're down 17 to nothing. Even the Florida State game where they fell just short, they came back in that game, made adjustments, and certainly in this game against Ole Miss, Ole Miss did not score a point in the second half. And they really got shut down. And it's a it's a very unique style of defense because it feels like, and I and I kind of compared it to being a, a prize fighter during earlier in the week. You're just sitting back and you know you've got a strong chin and you're just taking some shots, filling out the opponent, seeing what they have, seeing what they're going to try to attack you with. 
and then you become the counter puncher and yeah. then you start to throw haymakers off of that counter punching. And that's what it feels like for this LSU defense, because I was in the stadium when it was 17 to three, like in a blink of an eye, right. As you began the second quarter, I'm like, Oh man, here's another Tennessee. They're not going to be able to come back. This, this mm -hmm. offense is just too good. They're not going to be able to come back, but then they made the adjustments. They were playing a ton of quarters coverage in the first quarter to try, like I said, to kind of figure out, I think, the game plan for Ole Miss, and then they got the game plan. You started to see some switches there in the coverages and fronts and personnel as well, which we can certainly get into a little bit later on. But my hold my beer has got to go to Matt House. Shutting out an Ole Miss offense like that with all of the weapons that they have after the success that they had in the first quarter and a little bit there in the second quarter – that's a hell of a game plan and adjusting in college football is not like adjusting in the NFL. You don't have the tablets to be able to show you mm -hmm. the pictures. You don't have the ability to go over and say, Hey, here's what they're doing. You're basically quickly, you know, maybe getting on the whiteboard here every once in a while to try to draw something up. And you just don't ever get that done in college football, but Matt house and his NFL background being with the chiefs, he's able to get it done. Yeah, I think there's a couple coaching staffs in this conference that are doing a great job of in-game adjustments. Uh, Matt House and that LSU defense uh, certainly probably tops the list. South Carolina as well. I thought what they've done the last couple of weeks on the defensive side, Clayton White has right. been really good at making some halftime adjustments and limiting what the opposition is doing uh, offensively. So, you know, whether it was this week against A&M or it was uh, last game against Kentucky, uh, they've really dominated the last 30 minutes because of some of those in-game adjustments. So I, I agree with you. I'm glad when you were talking about being a homer, you, you went in that direction because I think Matt House deserves a lot of praise for what he's done. The fact that, you know, he was in this conference before Kentucky, yeah. went to the NFL, as you mentioned, decided the best path to where he wanted to get was to come back to the college ranks and, and take over as the D.C. at LSU. It's been a great fit so far. And I feel like that defense, you talked about it, the attacking nature after they kind of figure out what's going on, they are a collection of 11 really versatile athletes that can yeah. be used in so many different ways. And, and it's fun to watch that. And, and, you know, I know we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about the game, but Harold Perkins Jr. is an absolute star in the making. And uh, if people don't know number 40 yet, they certainly will before too long. Now, the other reason I was glad you went with Matt House when you talked about being a homer is because I wanted to go to Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels has been maybe the most impressive um, the, the uh, most impressive evolution of a player this, this season for me. I thought he was nothing more than a scramble guy in the early portions of the season. I thought he might have been a good fit for the offense because of how poor the offensive line has been. But he's involved. He, he's evolved into a complete player at the quarterback position. He does have the scrambling ability. He's unstoppable in the tight red zone when we go zone read stuff. Uh, but his his willingness to stay in the pocket now, particularly on third down, the efficiency and moving the chains uh, shows me one that he's listened to, to, to coach Kelly, who was adamant about hanging in there and giving receivers opportunities in one-on-one -on -one situations. He's also developed a trust in the offensive line, which I think is, is a, a, a story in and of itself. Those guys getting better up front. And then finally, you know, the, the offense as a whole staying on track on first and second down. Their average third down conversions on Saturday against Ole Miss was 4.3 yards, I believe. That's an easily convertible distance for third down that's made it easier on, you know, what uh, Jaden Daniels is able to see, too. So I, I just can't say enough about the evolution of this offense, but specifically kind of what he's done to elevate his game as a complete quarterback. 
No, I completely agree with you. I mean, I was sending you clips uh, of different games, and he was doing things to help the team win the game when he was the guy who was scrambling back there because, you know, there was, um, you know, some offensive line issues. You've had a, a number of different combinations of your starting offensive line, but also there was plays in the Tennessee game that I sent you. There was plays to be made if you stay in the pocket and you deliver the ball down the field because it was a clean pocket. And I've never seen it. I was talking with Matt Flynn national championship quarterback at LSU got 15 years ago that, that pained me when, when I started to add it up in my head I was talking to him and he's like look it's just unheard of to go from where he was in his progressions to where he is now in two weeks but he's done it on the road in the swamp he's done it against a top 10 team in Ole Miss and he was just talking about how impressive it was and he was talking look he's like it's not a fluke but to be able to go from where he was to where he is now you just don't ever see that and it's a credit to yes Jaden Daniels but you mentioned it Joe Sloan, the quarterback coach, Brian Kelly, Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator. And he's 11 touchdowns in two weeks in this conference. Just doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't happen often at all. And it's, uh, it, it gives us something to be excited about here in two weeks with uh, Alabama yeah. coming to town. Whereas I didn't think this was a, a game that was circled on the schedule after watching the way that LSU started against Florida State. Yeah. I, I just now can't wait to, uh, to get an opportunity to watch that in week 10. But before we do, we got to take a look back. It's uh, yep. it's time for us to uh, look and review for the final time with our last call segment. All right, let's get into it. Let's go a little bit of uh, Tennessee, the only not Power Five, not SEC game, sixty-five to twenty-four over UT Martin. Game started out seven-seven, and then Tennessee just put the pedal down and dominated the rest of the way. But yeah, let's start with the Vols. Hess, let's go with you. I mean, they did exactly what they have to do in a game like this, and what a perfect opponent, and nothing away from UT Martin, but it is the perfect opponent after such an emotional victory to come back home and you play a team that you can maybe stumble out of the gates. And I don't want to say stumble. They were up 21-7 to at the end of the first, but it was 7-7, to and it's okay. It's okay because you're going to be able to have better athletes than them, and you're going to be able to have success, and they did. I mean, Hinden Hooker still threw for 275 and three touchdowns. You ran the football well, and, you know, your playmakers, Hyatt, yet again, seven for 174 and a couple of touchdowns. And so it was a nice day at the office. It's what's expected. You are a top-five team in the country. You showed another top-five team in the country performance. Now, as we get into pre-gaming later on, you better be ready for this week and not look forward to next week. That's going to be the key component here for Tennessee. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we uh, pregame the, the week nine games. But I, I think you said it in terms of doing what they needed to do. And that's not always the case. It's not always the case with teams that are trying to ascend to a level they haven't been at before. Consistency is what you look for as a, as a coach, your team playing at a level of expectation that we set, not for what's on the other side. This was a noon game on the heels of the biggest win this, this school has had in years. And they're playing against an FCS opponent. It was a recipe for going out there and looking lethargic, for looking sloppy, for not executing. And they, with the exception of giving up a few deep balls defensively, did everything that you could have asked them to do. And I thought, you know, one of the interesting things about it has, was how creative they were in some of the play calling and what they showed in that game. To me, yeah. it was a very intentional uh, play calling uh, plan that, that, that Heupel uh, and his offensive staff had because they wanted to, one, show upcoming defenses, Kentucky, Georgia, all that's in the repertoire and force mm -hmm. them to have to prepare for a lot of different things as they're putting together their game plan to stop the falls. And two, 
it was an advertisement to a lot of high school players that are on the offensive side saying, Hey man, you want to come play in a fun offense, yeah. come to Knoxville. We're going to put up big numbers. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it. We're going to win big ball games and we're going to get you to the NFL. So I, I thought it was uh, a lot of fun to watch, even though it was one of those FCS games that I can't stand on the schedule, but I actually <laughs> thought it was truly beneficial where it fell on the schedule between yeah. Alabama and Kentucky to give them the buffer they needed but also to not let down and have any sort of uh, backslide, which uh, right. could have occurred with less mature teams. Yeah, yeah. just real quick. The only thing that I would point out in a negative light, dresser win for UT Martin through for 301 and two touchdowns, you got to still clean that up because, I mean, you've shown that you will give up some yards through the air, even the game where you didn't. We played the tape. LSU had chances. They just didn't make those those chances come to uh, positive things for them. And so when you have UT Martin throwing for 301 and two touchdowns, that's something, you know, Will Levis is going to be able to take advantage of that as well. All right, Big Turk, where we're going next. All right, let's hit uh, Vandy Mizzou. Mizzou wins this game 17-14. They jump out <clears throat> to a 17-0 lead. Two touchdowns from Luther Burden, one on the ground, one through the air. Uh, we saw Mike Wright make a return late in this game through an 80-yard touchdown. C.J. Taylor with one of the most athletic plays of all time for Vanderbilt with that strip sack. Yep. But, yeah, Missouri wins this one 17-14. So, C.D., we'll start with you. Let's go last call on Mizzou, and then we'll hit Vandy. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that we praised Eli Drinkwitz's team for over the last month is how hard they've played. You know, they, they, they haven't necessarily shown that they're – running low on energy in the tank right. after some very emotional losses where they left it all in the field. I just think, unfortunately, they're very limited in what they have in explosive talent. Uh, very impressed with what's happened defensively and how they've you know, changed who they were last year to, to where they are this year. But yeah. offensively, they're just very limited. Outside, Victor mentioned Luther Burden. Outside of him, like who is your go-to guy on offense? I know Pete is a is a good running back and, and has done some nice things for them, but like really what is their identity? Brady, Brady cook. You know, has, I don't know. Has put I don't some, know. And they don't know either. I don't think yeah, they got some good numbers, but he's always good for at least one big turnover, you know, throwing, throwing the ball into traffic when you can't afford to do it. But like who is going to be the explosive factor offensively? Right. I just don't think they have that. And unfortunately it, it makes them very limited what they can do. Yeah, I mean, we've seen big offenses from Missouri in the past, and they've, they've had running backs certainly over the last couple of years that are game-changing running backs within the SEC. I mean, leading the SEC in rushing type guys. I just don't know. They don't have that. Now, they've got some talent. They have some guys that can make plays. You listed off a couple there, and we've seen it happen, but I just don't think they had that game-changer guy on offense, and offensively, they're incredibly limited. Now, we'll say this. Blake Baker and yeah. this defense – Blake Baker is going to get an opportunity to to have uh, his agent take some calls this offseason. I mean, I got a chance to know him a little bit last year. He was a linebacker coach at LSU and just talking ball with him. He's incredibly sharp. He, look, he's been a coordinator at Miami before, Louisiana Tech, other places. So this isn't his first time they are calling plays, but he's done a hell of a job. I yeah. mean, this defense fights their ass off for four quarters, no matter who the opponent is. And it's going to keep them in every game. I mean, it, it truly is. Outside of that one that got away against Kansas State, they've kind of been in every game that they've played this year. I mean, we've gone down the list, right? 
the Auburn game, which they should have won seven different times. The Georgia game, they certainly were in that one. The Florida game, they were in that one. They get a victory in this one. But the defense is the story for me for Mizzou. And if they can play like that, I mean, they're still going to have a chance. They're three and four on the season. You've got South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee before you get to New Mexico State in Air, uh, Arkansas to finish the season. Now you're going to beat New Mexico State. You got to find a way to get another victory against a very tough opponent to be bowl eligible. But that defense is going to give them the chance to do that. Yeah, you think they do get bowl eligible? Yeah, I can see them finding a way to get another victory. Um, yeah. Even though, even though who they're playing, uh, that Arkansas game is just always at the at the end of the year. It's in Como. It's always kind of a strange game. Even though mm -hmm. I think Arkansas is a better team, again, the defense will keep it. I think a low scoring game and give their offense, which is struggling a bit, a chance to score enough points to win. Big Terp, what else we got? Oh, let's hit a little Vandy. That I mean, for, yeah, I mean, that yeah, for me, I mean, just quickly, look, I mean, Clark Lee hasn't played hard. I mean, I know that's not a prize in the SEC. Like, you don't get a ribbon for playing hard. It's the Southeastern Conference. But, I mean, that's just – that's kind of all they can do right now. Going against Ole Miss, like, you fought like hell for as long as you could. And then it just became too much. Like, Ole Miss has more talent than you. In this game, you get down early, but you fought to get back in this game it's just it, it is what it is it is what it is at this point it does feel like slowly cd there's a little bit of a culture change in a positive direction yeah. but it's going to be slow it's a slow burn it's not going to happen overnight yeah it's, it's nice to see vanderbilt you know we, we've come to get used to seeing them have that that stud defensive player that sometimes you look at like how'd this guy end up at, at vanderbilt yeah. no disrespect with that dis disrespectful statement but you know <laughs> Anthony Orgy was tremendous on Saturday. He had 12 total tackles, seven of those solo. He had two and a half tackles for loss, an interception, and a forced fumble. I mean, the guy couldn't yeah. have done anything more and really you know, kept them in the ball game after falling in that hole, put uh, Missouri on lock after that and, and gave their offense an opportunity. And actually, the defense ended up scoring uh, a touchdown in there to to help you know close that lead a little bit and give them a chance. So. Yeah. I can't say enough about what Anthony uh, Orgy has done for that Vanderbilt program since he's been there and especially this year. All right, Big Terry, where are we going next? Let's do uh, Bama, Mississippi State. We'd spent the whole week talking about that stat. Mississippi State hadn't scored an offensive touchdown against Bama since 2014. We were, what, 59 minutes and 59 yeah. seconds into that sure. game before Mississippi State did get on the board. So 30-6 to six final, but it was 30-0 up until that very last second. So we'll start with Bama with you, Hess, and then we'll hit Mississippi State. Well, let's go last call on Bama. Yeah, look, Bama's just an incredibly tough matchup for Mississippi State in the air raid. They always have been. They probably always will be. And Alabama did exactly what it had to do to win this game. Bryce Young comes in. He's very efficient and makes enough plays to be able to go out there and win it. It's a little bit of a ho-hum game because you kind of – just from the opening kickoff, you saw, okay, Bama's ready for the air raid yet again, and they were going to have success. And it kind of felt like, and CD, I don't know if you agree, it kind of felt like once they knew they could stop Mississippi State, they weren't going to try to yeah. overthink it offensively. They were going to kind of be methodical in what they did and just score points and not pull out a trick play, not pull out anything crazy, just continue to kind of put drives together, get points, win the game, get to the bye week, get ready for LSU. Much to the chagrin of the uh, Crimson Tide fans as well, who have been <laughs> <No>. <laughs> very outspokenly critical of Bill O'Brien and the play calling. But you're right. I mean, I thought they played a very smart, 
comprehensive game. And as far as, you know, what that, that air raid offense looked like, who has not had much success against Alabama over the last uh, now three years, it's just a matter of, you know, styles making fights, right? I yep. mean, there's certain styles that are bad matchups and this Alabama defense is a bad matchup for what Mississippi state does. Mississippi state's not going to hit you with a bunch of explosive plays. They're not going to be able to take advantage of maybe where some of the weaknesses in that defense, the way that Tennessee did, they're going to throw the ball uh, on a lot of horizontal routes and you're going to have to come up and make tackles. And that's one thing that Alabama did well. Now I was really impressed uh, with, the pass breakups, 15 pass breakups for Alabama on the night, four for Eli Ricks, four for Kool-Aid McKinstry. Those guys seemed to be Johnny on the spot every time the ball was being thrown to one of the guys they were in coverage on. And then the way that, that some of the safeties broke, you know, on these third and four, fourth and, and four tries, breaking on the ball, making contact, perfectly timed to break it up. Like that was a smothering defense. And yep. that's exactly what you get when you don't have the ability to stretch the the, the field with the vertical pass again. No, that's actually a great point because we know what Mississippi State is and it gives some teams headaches. But you saw a defensive back room in Alabama that was confident in what they were doing, almost like <laughs> – stay with me here. Like we were playing a flag football game last night, mm -hmm. okay? And the team was like, they're going to run it, they're going to run it, they're going to run it. Anytime that they wanted to throw the ball, they were taking a little bit extra time in the huddle. I'm like, okay. And I'm sitting there and I'm calling Tipping plays <laughs> as the defensive coordinator. I'm like, hey, guys, if they get out of the huddle quick, you're going to play safety like seven yards. If they take a long time, you're at 11 yards, 12 yeah. yards, whatever it was. And it truly felt like that's how Alabama was playing the game. Like not 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 they could tell a tip and, and see what they were doing, but almost like they knew that they couldn't beat them over the top. And so they could be aggressive. They could do some different things. And we hadn't seen that aggression from that group in a long time. Yeah. Now it was, uh, it was good to see them be back in the hunting status yeah. kind of that we're used to seeing. They, uh, Tennessee certainly had them on the heels the week before. So good to see them establish a little bit more dominance. Now on the other side, how, how do you feel about, Mississippi State because it was just like two or three weeks ago I was one of them I, I think you probably felt pretty good about oh, them yeah, too. Absolutely. the evolution of this team as a whole the offense specifically the complement of the run game to the pass game that we've always known has been pretty good for them I mean they go out there Will Rogers completes 30 of 60 passes uh doesn't throw a touchdown it, it just again shows I think some of the limitations of of the offense whether that's the scheme or whether that's players you know, it's a little bit of both probably, but, um, you know, I what was feeling like a really good story through the first yeah. month and a half of the season now makes you feel a little bit empty. I'm completely with you. It's like they have enough to be dangerous, but then they run out of juice. Yeah. It, it feels like they can, if they get you early in the season and you kind of know what the air rate is, but they have enough wrinkles in the offense that they can get you if you play them early and then you figure them out late and it's time and time again. And we put our faith into them because like, it does look different. I will say that like, it looks different. Like there's guys on this team that look like they're Sunday players, not just system players, but I just don't think there's enough of those guys for it to be able to last for a full season. 
Like when I look at Cameron Jones out there at tackle, like just struggling, right? I mean, yeah. early in the season, like he didn't, he wasn't an issue. And then you start getting deep in your, into the season guys start to figure out, okay, let me put a rush plan together because we're not just going to rush three. We're going to be creative in what we do. And so a guy like that, that looked impressive early in the season, maybe, well, the offense has kind of gotten figured out. He's getting more pressure put on him and he's not stepping up to the plate. And I'm not just picking on him. I mean, it's really across the board on their offensive line. So I think there's just things that teams continue to figure out when you play Mississippi state and Mike Leach, that, if you get them late enough in your schedule, you're going to have more athletes than they do, and you're going to figure them out, unfortunately. All right, let's let's move on a little bit. I have the wrong mic on. Better. All right. Um, there you go. Hey, it's yeah, only week it, nine. You're fine. You know, get there. I, I just switched <laughs> to the uh, the Apple headphones. Is it sounding good? I, Sounds much better. Yeah. Sounds, there you go. Exactly. Right there, exactly. I am in nothing if not an audio engineer. All right. Um, it, it's hard to start a game worse than LSU against Tennessee, but AM did accomplish that against South Carolina. That, that should have been the whole my beer right there, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously, man. I mean, you, South Carolina, we're talking all week about how good that environment's going to be. And then Xavier Leggett comes out with a 100-yard kick return. And then the, the, <laughs> the fumble interception, whatever you want to call it, it was a fumble. It was just directly off Haynes King to, the, to uh, Taunt. Hemingway. Uh, A&M does show some fight later in this game. I mean, after that point, they ended up winning 24-13, but, you know, the game does – first quarter does matter. It does. Um, so we'll Special teams the, matter. Don't be a front runner. It does. It does. Um, we'll start with the South Carolina side of things here. Huge win for the Cox at home in primetime CD. Let's go last call on the Cox. Yeah, four-game winning streak, which yep. seems – it feels a little like it's been done with smoke and mirrors, Hester. I mean, given the schedule, Charlotte uh, starting that that runoff, they just fired their coach, South Carolina State, an FCS opponent, uh, a Will Levis-less Kentucky Wildcat team that looked yeah. very one-dimensional, and then a game against the Aggies that uh, probably looked more challenging on the preseason schedule that it ended up being. But all you can do is beat the teams that show up on your schedule, and I thought there's some things that have – shown some promise um offensively they continue to be able to uh assert themselves in the run game marshawn lloyd continues to kind of be a, a nice breakout player for them this year uh they rushed for 100 yards in the second half alone when they needed to take some time off the clock they went 80 yards on an eight play drive that had seven of those plays as, as uh run design run calls so I, I do think they're figuring out who they are they're a physical team on both lines of scrimmage, and that's saying a lot given what Clayton White's defense lost early in the season. So I, I, I'm interested to see how the last month of the season w works out for them. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if they're the 25th team in the country right now, as the rankings would tell you, but I think there's a lot of, of teams that are fairly kind of average in the running for being in that 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th spot in the rankings. And uh, why not? South Carolina. I, I, they seem to be feeding off of the momentum that they've created and, and playing with a lot of confidence right now. They're going to be favorites in three other last five games, I would say. Missouri, right, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Vanderbilt going to be a favorite. Um, you've got Florida, which can be a little bit of a toss-up. That game's on the road, so the maybe Florida up, yeah. gets the bump there. Then you finish with Tennessee and Clemson, so maybe the toughest way to finish of any team in the country. But, I mean, what's – in your opinion, like you're five and two. Okay, so you win three and you're you're eight and four. Like, that's a win, right? 
I mean, yeah. eight and four, like I, I would consider oh. that a win for Shane Beamer and what he took over a couple years ago. Especially, you know, I, I think we talked in the offseason about how maybe that bar was artificially set high due to them yeah. overachieving in year number one for, for Shane, Beamer, uh, Shane Beamer's tenure there in Columbia. Um, with that being said, I don't know what's more impressive is if they were able to achieve, you know, taking a step forward after last year's good start or overcoming all the injuries that they've had on the defensive side, including you know, two of your best players. Mo Kaba was having a, a, a breakout start to his return from injury. Jordan Strawn uh, kind of taken over on that defensive line for uh, JJ Anikbare. Like you're, you're seeing them find new guys to step up. And I think that's a credit to the coaching staff and, and really Shane Beamer too, for knowing the heartbeat of his team and getting those guys ready to go every single week, despite the adversity that they faced in the first half of the year. And what we say last week, we said this is a marquee game for South Carolina. It's probably not for A&M, and it looked like it. At least it yeah. did to me. It looked like it was a marquee win for South Carolina. You saw the way Williams Bryce celebrated, the way the team celebrated this victory. They went out, and they did what they had to do, and it feels like a big moment for them because I, I just think – if they finish eight and four and they continue to stay on track, I mean, it's a program that last year their win total was three. I mean, it was set at three. Now they overachieved there, and it feels like they're overachieving again this year, but that just might be what Shane Beamer brings you, yeah. right? A team that doesn't have the Jimmys and Joes, but they overachieve just by a little bit each and every year. But don't you think they'll be able to get the Jimmys and Joes? I mean, yeah, you yeah, talk yeah. about – Eventually, for sure. Eventually, even in the transfer portal, they did a nice job of accumulating some talent. Um, yeah, that's what we talked about was – all offseason, Spencer Rattler coming there, Austin Sogner coming. Yeah. I mean, uh, Juice, uh, you know, another guy that kind of came up from a, a lower level program. But um, at, at the end of the day, I think they're, it kind of feeds itself. I mean, one, he gets to be seen as this authentic players coach that's actually having some success. And right. the more you can bring some of those folks that want to be a part of that, that are good football players in, the faster that, that, uh, that build back up process can can be accomplished yeah and as we go to the other side of this last call with texas a&m i don't think we have enough time on this podcast <laughs> the next podcast and the next podcast to give you a last call on texas a&m uh, i mean three players on the offensive line out with injury three players suspended or going about indefinitely it, it is hot right now in college station there's fires all over the place and i don't know if they can put all the fires out it seems like they can't right now this is just a team that right, wrong, or indifferent. And you and I were not on the hype train. You and no. I said, wait a minute, hold up, caution to the wind. We got some questions about Texas A&M. And I think a lot of those questions that we had have become reality for the Aggies, three and four on the season. And let me just tell you, it doesn't get much easier for them. This week they've got Ole Miss, then they've got Florida, then they've got Auburn on the road, which is like, Auburn is Auburn, but Jordan Hare is not an easy, uh, easy place to play. You finish up with LSU, a team that looks like they're only getting stronger. They are going to have to fight and pull off upsets to be bowl eligible. Yeah. They started number six in the country, and they've got to go upset some people to be eligible for a bowl game. I, I don't see them getting it done. This team's going in the, in the opposite direction of where you want to be going here in late October, early November. There's going to be real conversations in the offseason what to do to fix it. Jimbo's owed $89.5 million for yeah. a buyout. In fact, in eight years, it's still $10 million. So he's your coach. 
you're married as much as look, your pockets are deep with three E's. I say it all the time, <laughs> but still they're not paying that. They're not paying that buyout. Yeah. And Jimbo still has value as a coach. He's got to bring somebody in to give them some fresh ideas because right now the offense, it's just not working. It is not where college football is going. He needs help. I think he can be a great CEO, but he's got to go buy into that role. They got to bring some people in. This year is lost for Texas A&M. Yeah, that's an interesting point uh, that you make when you finish up your statement there by saying that they're lost because I, I truly think that's where this program is right now. And sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. I think what makes Alabama so amazing and what they do in Georgia to, to the same degree and what they do with their recruiting, they get the pick of the litter, right? So they get the mm. best players, but their evaluation of the totality of the person is, is what separates them, right? You're, you're, you're talking about guys that are at Texas A&M getting suspended, the reports of what was going on in the locker room. I mean, the, 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 before the Miami game missing curfew the night before, like where are the priorities? What, what is going yeah. on here and how invested in the program are these guys? I think that's one of the problems that we'll continue to see at certain schools when you go out and you're you know bringing in guys with NIL promises, how invested are they in wanting to be at that school because they love the school or they have some sort of connection to the school? Like, these days, a lot of these players are higher mercenaries, and I know that's always kind of been the case to begin with, maybe a little different for guys like me and you, but to, to, to really have the, the locker room in shambles the way that it yeah. seems to be, they've got to find a way to, to maybe you know start that evaluation uh, a little differently to where they can get guys that fit in not only as great players, but culturally in the locker room that uh, Jimbo Fisher is trying to create there. I agree with you again, like we could spend a lot of time on Texas A&M and, you know, maybe next week we'll, you know, spend some more there because it just continues to just be news story after news story in a negative light for that football program. Uh, all right. I know we have LSU and Ole Miss to get to. I know we spent a lot of time talking about LSU and hold my beer, and I know they've got a bye week this week. I'll quickly say it's been very impressive what they've done, the turnaround that they've had offensively. It's been just a completely different offense. The defense continues to make adjustments and keep that team in every single game. It feels like they're hitting a stride right now. That was an impressive win, 45 to 20 over a damn good Ole Miss football team. The way they came out in the second half, Death Valley, again, I was at the stadium in the game. It was, uh, you know, back to a point where we've seen it a couple of years ago in 2019. It's going to be it's going to be living its best life again here, not this weekend, but next as well. Impressive victory for LSU. What a great home schedule, by the way. I mean, you had Tennessee coming in yeah. with a highly anticipated matchup early in the season. Unfortunately, that fell as a 11 a.m. local start, but you got the uh, the top 10 uh, team Ole Miss in this past week and disposed of them easily. And now you got the, the hated Alabama Crimson Tide coming in two weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm high on, on LSU. And I never thought I would say that this season has. Right. After what I saw the opening weekend of the season and how in disarray everything appeared to be, it was very contrary to what I expected. But slowly, week by week, things have gotten better. That's a testament to Brian Kelly. It's a testament to his coaching staff. And really has me excited not only about what can be accomplished this season, but yeah. the future as they continue to recruit their guys, as they continue to develop, as they continue to create their own culture there, what's possible in Baton Rouge. I think this is exactly what that administration was was looking for when they 
they identify Brian Kelly as their target for for the new head coach there. Yeah, make no mistake about it. I mean, with everything that that they had to go through to get to this point as far as what the roster looked like when this coaching staff took over, to be in a position to play for the like the the lead in the West against Alabama in November, I just I, none of us really had LSU in that position and for me, I had them going eight and four this year. I thought that'd be a really successful season considering the way they finished last year with like 38 scholarship players. And they're right now, I mean, they're on a path to to do that and maybe even a little land yap, a little extra there on the end. And so it's been a really nice job. And I agree with you. Like it's more uh, probably like about the future and what LSU can be even more so than what they are right now. What about Ole Miss, CD? Where are you kind of last calling Ole Miss? Well, Ole Miss, you know, I think a lot of us were suspect as to just how legitimate that that seven and zero start was, right? I mean, in the ranking, uh, with the schedule that they played, uh, softest September schedule of anybody in the country. Um, but I think it was what they needed when they had a new starting quarterback, when they had a bunch of transfers that are coming in trying to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. What I saw, though, unfortunately for them on Saturday, were some issues that I, I I'm worried about, particularly on the offensive line. Both tackles got abused a lot of the final three quarters in that ball game. Too much penetration up the middle. You know, the center was a bit of a sieve at times as well. Um, The penalties, 11 penalties for over 110 yards cost you because not only the penalty yardage, but terribly timed penalties when you had big plays or putting you in holes on third down. And then finally, I saw some plays that were there to be made early on. Oh, yeah. 200 yards of, of, of offense in the first quarter. And we talked about Matt House and some of the adjustments, but even in the final three quarters, there were big plays to be made. You had Mingo available over the top. You overthrow him. You got some deep overs that you miss. There were some big chunk plays that were there to be had that you have to start hitting. Um, Jackson Dart's got to improve his consistency passing. There's moments of looking a lot like Matt Corral, but the consistency of Matt Corral is not there yet in the passing game. I mean, CD, on the offensive line, I'm glad you pointed out that out they they struggled they struggled bad even nick brocker somebody that they count on somebody that was at sec media day somebody that is on the cover of the field still that sits right in front of my desk i mean he graded out at 43.8 percent i mean they were taking advantages of some true mismatches there in pass protection and he had a long day at the office but multiple players on that offensive line had long days at the office and it was really some of the different adjustments and i mentioned yes scheme but personnel Harold Perkins coming in that game when they asked Lane Kiffin, Hey, what was the difference? He's like, uh, 40, 40 yeah. started to play. And we knew when he came in the game that it would probably give us some problems because he's not like anyone else out there. What a quote about a true freshman that only played 35 plays in this game that the other head coach said, Hey, the difference was now, of course there was other adjustments, but it's like when 40 came in, it was a game changer. And, he was picking on those tackles for sure. Be, even being like a box size linebacker, I mean, he's 230 pounds. He's pushing tackles around. Yeah, I, I thought the 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 tackles played with some poor technique, way yeah. too high. I mean, the, didn't multiple, see twists coming. Didn't yeah. didn't kick back fast yeah. enough when you kind of see it telegraphed. Yeah, yeah, definitely did not uh, did not look good. And, and maybe those things are, are things that you can go back and fix. I'm not sure, but. You know, they're heading into their most trying part of the season with a lot of SEC West opponents on the upcoming schedule. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, especially, you know, we're going to get into pre-gaming this week. I actually think there are some favorable matchups for Texas A&M as we, we look at how they'll uh, take on the Ole Miss Rebels this weekend. 
All right. What a segue there. <laughs> uh, Big Turp, should we pregame? Well, we shall. Do you want to just roll right into that? Start with a little Ole Miss at Texas A&M. Rebs are two-and-a-half-point favorite here. It's an interesting line, isn't it, to think about you know, a team that was in the top ten last week now only being two-and-a-half-point favorites over uh, an A&M team that certainly is struggling, to say the least. Hester, to me, it has nothing to do with on-the-field things for A&M. It's how invested are they in the rest of the season? Yeah. How much do they want to be out there? A team that was number six in the polls early in the season is now struggling to get to six wins just to get bowl eligible. Like never thought we'd even, even the most, na- the biggest naysayers of, of Jimbo Fisher and, and, and Texas A&M would not have imagined that this is where this A&M program would be right now. But here we are. And how invested in playing out the rest yeah. of the season are these players? Uh, we've already seen a number of different guys get suspended in multiple occasions. Uh, we've got, you know, three offensive linemen that are out for the season. Uh, it, 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 that's tough sled. And, um, you know, I think there are some favorable matchups, as I mentioned, watching A&M, maybe the strength of their team being their front seven with a lot of young talent taking on, you know, the offensive line for, for Ole Miss that, that yeah. was a bit inconsistent on Saturday. I think they can have some success there, but, how much do these guys want to be out there? How invested are they not only in the future of the program, but specifically in this game in the last month plus of the season? Yeah, I'm not saying that they've given up on the season. I mean, they did fight hard in the loss against South Carolina. They did fight hard against Alabama in a close loss as well. But Ole Miss and South Carolina are different teams. Like Ole Miss is is a team that they, they've got a lot of talent. And Ole Miss just ran into kind of a buzzsaw against LSU, and it was a perfect storm game for LSU being at home, great crowd. Um, Jaden Daniels really hitting the best stride of, of his season by far, right? And so they kind of ran into that. But make no mistake about it, Ole Miss is still a team that can go line up and beat any team on their schedule. And Texas A&M is going to have to do something out of body to be able to compete in this game, in my opinion, which is score points because Ole Miss is going to score points like you just like just because you saw LSU shut them down in the second half. That does that just don't see that happening for two weeks in a row. So Texas A&M is going to have to do something they haven't really done all season, which is go out there, be efficient on offense, but also score points while being efficient on offense. Because if you don't, I feel like if this gets into a shootout, you have no chance to be able to compete and stay in this game. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like Ole Miss is about to have a major bounce back spot here. I think it, it sets up for that opportunity for sure. I mean, um, you know, I, I think we discussed this on SEC this morning the other day, like which of these teams truly has the greatest sense of urgency? You know, I think on the surface, it's easy to say A&M with where they are, but I go back to what we talked about earlier, how invested, how much do they actually care? Yeah. In order to have a sense of urgency, you have to be you know, somewhat emotionally invested. And it feels like yeah. there's a lot of detached people on that, that team right now, but for Ole Miss, they're still atop the SEC West, even after oh, yeah. they lost LSU, they're tied for the SEC West lead. Uh, they've got, you know, the heart of their, their schedule in front of them. They kind of control their own destiny as well so i actually believe that it might be old miss that has the greater sense of urgency at this point with what's out there for these two teams yeah which is not good for a&m so i agree with you i think old miss still has a lot to play for they still control their own destiny in a lot of ways like depending on you know what happens with alabama and lsu coming up in two weeks but you know 
they still can go out there and they can put themselves in a great position to potentially play for an SEC championship game, knowing they still have Alabama left on their schedule. So in my opinion, this is a game where Ole Miss is going to try to flex their offensive muscles because they only scored 20 points last week. Can Texas A&M keep up with them? I don't think so. So Victor, what we got coming up next? Let's go Arkansas at Auburn. Arkansas had a little three-game losing streak working at AM, home versus Alabama, at Mississippi State. They go out to Provo and they beat BYU going into the bye week. Auburn also had their bye week, but they are on a three-game losing streak. Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss. So two teams struggling a little bit. We already saw Arkansas bounce back. Hogs are a three-and-a-half-point favorite here. Injured in hair. Hess, what are we thinking? Man, Auburn right now, it's – I mean, it's been really bad, and it started bad in the offseason, and we talked about it. Like, it felt like Brian Harson couldn't really do anything right. And then you've got the news of him trying to tell every player, look, you're not redshirting, so you can go put yourself into the transfer portal and, and not lose a year. Like, if you're on this team, you're going to play. It's just – man, it's just bad. It, it's bad there on the planes, and it's – you know, on the field, there's certainly issues, but off the field, there's so many issues as well that kind of creep in. It feels like to the on the field issues, it's just, it feels toxic. And I hate, I hate saying that. And I know I say that about Auburn, what feels like every time we come on here and talk about the Auburn Tigers, but that's just what it feels like. And Arkansas was able to go out to BYU, get a victory. Some of their losses, if we looked under a microscope, I don't think they'd be losses that were that many plays away from being victories. It just, I think they're in a different place than Auburn is right now. They still seem like a focused football team because everybody still loves Sam Pittman in Fayetteville and Auburn's just not that situation. So I know these teams kind of want to do the same thing. They want to run the football with their quarterbacks, with their running backs, take shots when they can take shots. But I just – it's hard for me right now to get on a microphone and say that I can see Auburn doing anything in a positive manner for the I rest of the year. I will say this, though. Hess, I was surprised and pleasantly so with how hard Auburn played against Ole Miss last time out. I mean, they fell down 21-0 yeah. right off the jump, and I was like, man, this is about to get ugly. They might fire Brian Harson before the end of the third quarter, <laughs> and here comes the Auburn Tigers. They had a little bit of a dust-up on the sideline between Tank Bigsby and Robbie Ashford. They – whatever figured out what they were doing. And, and maybe the most important thing was like finally getting touches for tank Bigsby and finally yeah. getting dark West Hunter, the ball, like the strength of that team was the running back position and finally feeding those guys help fuel a comeback and where they made it a competitive game in the second half. They had some explosive runs. I feel like Robbie Ashford has gotten the respect of his teammates as a young quarterback, you know, fighting for, for every single play. He looks like he's invested in it and, and I think they're seeing some some dividends on on having him in there early and and working through some of the inevitable growing pains that come with, with starting a young quarterback. So I, I do think there are some signs of late. I think a lot of people were curious whether Brian Hartson would get fired, you know, before the bye week. He's still around there now. So maybe there is a, a way that you can kind of create some positivity down the last uh, five weeks of the season and 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 give folks something to think about for the for the future yeah. and, and the leadership of this program man i just i really honestly i feel bad for for harson in this position because it just feels like coming into the year and you and i talked about we talked about it at spring meetings we talked about it at media day just it felt like no matter what he did outside of something miraculous like winning 10 or 11 games like he was just going to be a dead man walking and i can't imagine what that feels like and 
then you hear reports of, of, Hey, this many players in the 2021 class have already decided to leave the team. It's just like, again, it kind of feels like it's yeah. the same situation, Texas A&M, but for different set of problems, like they're not the same problems, but it just feels like everyone right now is seeing only the negative things. And there's so many negative things to see. Like you can't even look at the positives like you're talking about, because if you go watch the all 22 and you don't have the TV commentary in your ears, it's like, okay, that was a good performance by Auburn. But then you turn on the TV copy. It's like, Hey, this happened and this yeah. happened and this is happening. And it just feels like so many things going on right now at both those schools that as 18, 19, 20 year old kids, and certainly in the day and age of social media, can you keep those things out of your thought process? Yeah. And I just don't know that you can. Yeah, no doubt. So for Arkansas, man, I, I do want to touch on the positive. You know, I thought the contrast between what Arkansas looked like without KJ Jefferson against Mississippi State a couple week, weeks ago versus what they look like with him back in the lineup against BYU shows you the type of quarterback that he is and what he means to his team. It, it's, I think it's easy to overlook KJ Jefferson, but this guy, you know, not only is he able to to make tremendous plays with his arm and his legs but also just the the heart and soul of the team the leadership aspect the presence that he has in that locker room um so i, I i'm with you i think we're talking about teams that are kind of headed in two different directions at this point um i'm gonna go with arkansas but i don't think it's as easy as you know just uh rolling the balls out there i think it'll be a yeah. a tough game like we typically see from from these two teams hooking up all right where we're we going next big turp all right, let's hit Missouri at South Carolina. This is a three and a half point spread in favor. Take the, of the under. Cox. I don't even know. What I the was under is. going to ask Hess. <laughs> I had a feeling I was going to ask if you knew what the total was. Oh, I have or no what, idea. What do, you, but... what do you think this should be set at? Oh my gosh, this is going to be. If I'm setting this line, forty-two. Uh, that's how I was going to say forty-six and a half. Uh, is it? Under smash the under. And time. <laughs> I'm like, time. I mean, there's been some high totals in best bets. I've been able to, I, I know no one is supposed to take the under because no one likes cheering for the under, but if the under is an under in which you're like, there's no way these two teams can score this amount of points, then you have to play the smart bet and play the under. And I'm playing the under in this game. It's going to be a defensive battle. It's going to be 21, 17 type yeah. of game. At least it feels like it to me, CD. You have to go th- and take a look at what the lines are telling you. What what are the what are the odds makers expecting? They're expecting a a defensive battle, lower scoring game with limited offense, but they're also expecting it to be close. And we're talking about a South Carolina team, as we mentioned earlier, is a top twenty five team now. One yeah. winner of four straight games. Missouri doesn't seem to have anything going for it right now, but yet they're only a two and a half point underdog. Makes you a little curious as to you know what the what that says about these two teams and maybe the the fraudulence that uh that Vegas thinks that uh, may be on display right now with the South Carolina Gamecocks yeah and I, I think these teams right now they're not that far off each other so I'm not surprised to see the spread there by South Carolina the thing I'll give them a lot of credit for is if they've had an opportunity to capitalize they've done it in which Missouri is not like there was no way in hell Missouri should have lost that game against Auburn, but they found seven different ways to yeah. do so. They, you know, in, in a Georgia game, they get down to the one yard line, they shoot themselves in the foot, get a penalty backed up. You only kick the field goal. You don't score the touchdown there. It's like, that was an opportunity. Yeah. You didn't, you know, you weren't able to take advantage of it. So I think they're not that far away, but again, South Carolina's made the plays they had to make and Missouri just hasn't. That's the difference. I'll say this though, about Eli Drinkwitz's team. 
they play really hard for them. They may oh, yeah. be under talented, but they 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 play really hard, and uh, they could have, you know, after losing that Auburn game, they could have showed up with an empty tank against Georgia and gotten blown out. They had the Bulldogs on the ropes through three and a half yeah. quarters, let that one get away, and they could have shown up with an empty tank in Gainesville the following. But they didn't. They fought Florida till the end. It was a war- as time expired. So I see some some signs of growth. They've just got to recruit a little bit better and find a way now to overcome what is typically a deficiency of talent. Although I, I think this week might be a more even playing field, and maybe that's what the line in Vegas yeah. is telling us is how evenly matched these guys are, are uh, from the roster standpoint. Yeah, don't look at the line. Look at the total. Just look at the total. That's all you got to look at. All right, Big Terrapore, we're going next. All right, it is. I don't think there's any bulldogs around. Florida, Georgia week. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa! No, no, no. I, I know the rules. Whoever I'm won the game, no, gets first telling. Hester's an outsider. He doesn't get to decide here. It is Florida, Georgia. <laughs> F before G in the alphabet. Everyone knows that. I, I so. thought it was whoever won the game the year before. Hell That's what Aaron no. Murray always tells me. Well, I mean, I, you'll never hear him say Florida, Georgia. He shock was on with us the other day. Always Georgia, Florida, which I think. You know, the great part about it is how many different things are contested in this rivalry. You know, the just the, the pure pittiness mm-hmm. of the, the rivalry, the fact that Florida and Georgia can't even agree on the number of wins that uh, Georgia has had with a disputed game along the way. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. You guys know this. This is my favorite game of the year. The fact that it still resides in Jacksonville with this future uh, a little cloudy uh, is is concerning to me, but. Uh, what makes this game so special is the the neutral site, the half red and black, the half orange and blue, the uh, the history of playing that game over in Jacksonville. And weird things happen in Jacksonville. I mean, it was a couple of years ago, Will Muschamp decided they were going to run the ball. You know, Treon Harris threw six passes and Florida somehow as a double digit underdog wins the game by double digits. Weird yeah. things happen in this game. Uh, it would have to be really weird this week to see Florida with a path to winning this game. But I do think there are ways that they can keep it close, and that starts with Anthony Richardson. The usage of your quarterback in the run game is of the utmost importance. I think it's better for his confidence level when you get him involved running the football, when he has some success in the called run game, whether it's it's zone read stuff, whether quarterback draw, whether you know he, he's getting outside the pocket, which can put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses. He's got to be the catalyst for yeah. what happens offensively and uh, I think that if, if they could find a way to, to line up and run the football, Montreal Johnson, uh, Trevor Etienne, those guys have been tremendous behind what's – Yeah, maybe just, the, just commit to it, the big, in my opinion. Thing, just you, commit to it. Your, your, your biggest strength out of nowhere has become your offensive line and your running back group. Yeah. Put the game in those guys' hands and use Anthony Richardson in the run game to make it even more difficult to stop. As far as like just a, like a running back room across the SEC – they're in the top tier, like they're in tier one. No question. It's, it's like as a former running back, I hate looking at the box score. It's like your leading rusher has seven carries with success, and then you got a guy with six carries with success, and another guy with four. I'm like, just just buy into it, man. Yeah. Create a package. Do something. Your quarterback is a threat to run. He can throw as well. I understand that, but take some time off the clock. Utilize your weapons. Your offensive line's really, really good. It's stout. Your running backs are really, really good. They're explosive. Your quarterback can run it too. That's been one of the surprises watching Florida is they haven't just you know fully bought into that being who they are and their identity. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see, one, if they do commit to that, and two, defensively, it, we talked an awful lot about how bad Florida's been on third down. 
they are 130th out of 131 teams in FBS football when it comes to third down conversions allowed. 53% of the time, the opposition's been able to move the chains on third down. And we're not talking about third and short, Hess. We're talking about third and 7.1 yards is the average that the opponents have faced against Florida's defense. And they've given it up through a couple different reasons. One, they don't get enough pressure with a defensive line. They're not able to rush the passer without having to bring pressure. Two, they play too soft in a lot of cases, but three, you know, they've been in position to make plays and whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, a safety busting a coverage, letting a guy get behind him or a linebacker letting a tight end get inside leverage when he's supposed to wall him out of the middle of a cover two uh, defense. Like yeah, each player is taking the chance to taking their turn to, to, to bust their assignment. And what that adds up to is converted third downs. I mean, nothing more important been playing 11 guys on the same page on third down defense and, and Florida just haven't been able to do that consistently. It's going to be, it's going to be tough for them to, to stay in this contest. I, I understand the point spread, but I think everything we just laid out, like if you have a chance, that is the way that is the path to really like keep the game where Georgia stays off the field and the old time of possession in a day and age when time of possession doesn't really mean anything. I think it means something in this game. And I think it's a strength of yours that you need to dive into. And I think if you can do that, you can slow the game down. You can keep that Georgia offense on the sideline. I know it's difficult to run against Georgia, but you have the weapons. You have to commit to it. If you run four times, you get stuffed. That's okay. Like run it five, six, seven, eight, like continue because that is your path, at least watching tape and seeing some of the strengths that you have for your team. So we'll see if they commit to it. Georgia's side, I think it, it's uh, pretty simple. Um, you know, you 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 kind of have figured out, you know, going back to your roots, that that you are a running football team. And, and I honestly believe, Hess, until you get A.D. Mitchell back, which it looks like he's doubtful again for this game, you don't have the ability to stretch the field. You don't have the ability to have yeah. that explosive passing in that you had against Oregon in the opener when he was in the lineup. Um, and you know who you're seeing suffer right now? Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is suffering because the opposing defenses are keying in on him. They're not getting the threat of, of the deep pass. They're able to suck up a little bit more. And you've seen Brock Bowers numbers go down precipitously since that Carolina game. And uh, there's nobody on that Georgia roster that wants to see AD Mitchell back in the lineup more than Brock Bowers. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And so I know Georgia, because they just kind of go about their business because of how they've played this season and last season, we don't talk, a lot about them because we just expect them to be the team that they've been over the last two years. But I'll be I'll be interested to see how they handle this one. Do you, do you think Georgia is the team of the last two years? Because I, I think there's I don't know that we've ever talked this late in the season less about a number one team in the country I know. I than agree we do about Georgia. And, and I think part of it has to do with the talk in the offseason was all, right, all this production loss from the defensive side. How do you replace it? And then they come out and look lights out against Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then the schedule hasn't necessarily been all that challenging to this point no. in the year. They are about to embark on the toughest four-game stretch of any team in the country right now. It starts with Florida, goes at home against Tennessee, goes on the road against uh, Mississippi State and Starkville, goes on the road in Lexington against Kentucky in successive weeks. We're going to find out about this uh, Georgia team. Right now, I think there's still a little curiosity as to exactly yeah. who they are. Yeah, I, we haven't seen them play really a, a team that we consider I don't want to say good because I think South Carolina is good but a great team since Oregon now yeah. they dominate Oregon but they've played Sanford South Carolina Kent State Missouri Auburn Vanderbilt since then 
So this will be the first game in a very long time that they've got similar athletes on the field. We'll see how they're able to handle that. All right, Big Terp, I know we've got one more massive matchup coming up in the SEC and the SEC East this week. Yes, we do. We got Kentucky at Tennessee. Vols, 12-point favorite CD predicted preseason that the Vols would take Kentucky down, although we didn't think Tennessee would be this good at this point. We thought Kentucky might be, you know, maybe undefeated, maybe not at this point. Um, but what do we got here? SEC East battle. Hess, we'll start with you. Let, let me let me ask you a question first. Before TD, we start. we'll start with I'll, you. <laughs> I, no, I'm going to ask Hester a more pointed question instead okay. of leaving it open-ended. All right. One of the things that I think we're all excited about is the contrast in styles between Tennessee and Kentucky. And I, I've heard discussion about, you know, my, my, my thought is that you got to be who you are as Kentucky. You got to, you know, be physical. You got to run the football. You got to keep Hinton Hooker on the sidelines. But I, I've heard people say, now you, you got to be, you got to get into a shootout with them like they had last year in Lexington. You got to find a way to match scores through the air. How do you expect the style of Kentucky's offensive game plan to be and the cohesiveness between the offense and the defensive game plans? That's a great question because when you look at Kentucky, Chris Rodriguez is going to flash for you the way he's come back into this season. He's been dominant. Even a game where he wasn't in football shape against Ole Miss, like you could tell, man, if that guy had like just one game coming yeah. into that one under his belt, it might be a different outcome. But when I see Dresser win from Tennessee Martin throwing for 300 yards and two touchdowns, and I've got a quarterback that is, for all intents and purposes, supposed to be a first-round pick, mm -hmm. I've got some weapons on the outside and Robinson and others that have stepped up this year. Uh, I think you create a game plan because you have the personnel to do it to give Tennessee problems where they've had problems all year. The run defense actually isn't, isn't one that, you feel bad about if you're a Tennessee fan right now, I'm looking at it, giving up 90.9 yards on the ground. So it's actually even better than I thought. So, okay. Sometimes, you run the ball. sometimes so it, it, that's like last year when we used to talk about Missouri's numbers, well, Missouri's yeah. pass defense is good. Well, is it good? Or is just everybody able to run the ball at will? <laughs> so they never even try to. No, that's completely fair. You're giving up 330 yards in the air, 330 yeah. per game. So, you know, Chris Rodriguez is still going to be involved in the game plan, but I think for me personally, Hey, Will Levis, you're the first-round quarterback. You're a guy that we've seen take us to the promised land before. This one's on you. And I'm putting the game plan in your hands. My problem with that, though, there's nobody that's better suited for a shootout with Tennessee than Alabama. And that didn't work out so well for the Crimson Tide. So, you know, do you trust Will Levis as much as you trust Bryce Young? Do you trust the weapons for Kentucky as much as you uh, trust the Alabama weapons? I don't know if I do. So it might be you know, kind of the contrarian point of view, the idea of maybe your best defensive player is a guy that actually plays offense with Chris Rodriguez, you know, putting the ball in his hands, extending drives, picking the air out of the ball a little bit. Like, tell me, I asked this question to uh, Alyssa Langer, maybe Dara Noka the other day. What is the, what's the ideal point total for Brad White's defense to hold a, uh, a Tennessee offense to that scored 30 plus points in 10 straight games? Like, where would you feel good about Kentucky holding Tennessee's final point total to? To win the game? Yeah. 28. You think that's possible? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing, though. We're talking about a Kentucky defense that's a top near or a top every important defensive 
category, a statistical category uh, this year. Alabama was right there too, and they had limited success defensively. I would say very limited success, but 52 points they allowed. Like, I know it sounds great in theory, but the the only way you're going to do that, the only way I I said 31 might be good. So we're in the same neighborhood, but the only way you're going to do that is limit possessions to Hendon Hooker. He doesn't turn the football over. The best thing to do is kind of keep him on the sidelines. You got to score touchdowns if you're in the red zone, if you're Kentucky. You got to find a way to, to get a couple stops, which is a, a win. But maybe the best defense is a good offense of, you know, keeping the football yeah. in the possession of your offense's hands. We'll see. I mean, Chris Rodriguez is somebody that definitely can take over a game. I mean, he's done it time and time again in his career. And so I, I completely understand what you're saying. I, I do see those yards through the air against that team. And I'm like, if I have the guy that can do it, I take advantage of it. But it is look at the end of the day, it's going to have to be a game plan that features Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez. They're both going to have to make plays in this game. And so, you know, how much do you go away from what you've typically done? Like I would, what the better question, okay, how many passes do you think Will Levis has to throw in this game for them to be able to, to keep up with Tennessee. Actually, let you t- I'm going to ask you this question, and I'll answer your question. What's the most yards that Will Levis has thrown for in a conference football game this year or in his career, for that matter? Mm. For I, I don't know if it's changed, but for a I while mean, there. 200 and Yeah, I don't think he's exceeded. I'm not sure that he's exceeded. 250 yards. I don't know how many times he's even thrown for 200 yards in a uh, in a game against a, a Southeastern Conference opponent. Uh, Big Turf, do you have that? Here, I got it. I just I just pulled it up uh, against right. Florida. He threw for 202. Against Ole Miss, he threw for 220. And against Mississippi State, he threw for 230. So 230 okay. is the most he's thrown so for in a conference year. game. Give me last year's. Do you have those available? Yeah, dude, I can pull it up. I mean, me. 372 yeah, against. Guess who? Tennessee LSU. last year. <laughs> Yeah, he did though for 372. Uh, Let's see. Other SEC games, 177 against Vanderbilt, uh, 150 against Mississippi State, 192 against Georgia, 145 against LSU, 87 against Florida, 102 against South Carolina, 179 versus Mizzou. So I'm getting your point. Nobody loves Will Levis like we do here on this show. I love him. Uh, But to say that, hey, all of a sudden you're going to put the game in his hands and he's going to deliver – Maybe you feel good about it because of last year's you know, yardage total he was able to put up, but it just it scares me a little bit to think that we're putting the entire game plan in the hands of a quarterback that you know probably averages less than 200 yards against SEC opponents. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's completely fair. I mean, when you sit here, no, I'm looking at the stats. I mean, he's certainly done it against that team, and so that gives you a lot of hope. But then you see what he's done against the rest of the SEC, and again, like. He's only throwing he's like he's 17 of 23, 18 of 24, um, 21 of 32. So he's not throwing it a ton. Like he didn't have that huge 45 or 60 attempts like you saw uh, in Mississippi State, Alabama last week. But it's definitely not what they want to be as an offense. So I'll go ahead and I'll tip my cap. I think you're right. That, that's Chris what makes Rodriguez. it fun, though. Who knows what will happen? Yeah. But, you know, we're looking at the same game with two very different perspectives and paths for Kentucky to get to uh, a win. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I'll say this final thing before we, we, we end up the pregame. The mi- most impressive thing about Tennessee to me this year has for a team that's on an upward trajectory, that's trying to get to somewhere they haven't been in a long, long time is that they haven't had a misstep. 
They handle every challenge yeah. and pass it with flying colors. Um, the, you know, part of that starts with the leadership. Hendon Hooker, a 24-year-old quarterback, the maturity that he has, I think, permeates the, the rest of the team. They don't overlook opponents. This is not a look-ahead game. Georgia's right. on the horizon, but they understand what's at hand here with Tennessee taking on Kentucky at home. Uh, so I, I just I, I can't say enough about how mature this Tennessee team is. And sometimes when you when you're going somewhere you haven't been before, you're going to have bumps in the road. And, and, and Tennessee's been able to navigate those bumps extremely well this year. All right. Before we get out of here, because last week when we had a bad week, we just acted like it didn't happen. But when you have a good week, yes. you certainly champion for best bets. Big Terp, give the people the stats. All right, let's just uh, let's see here. Let's run through these. LSU minus one and a half for Doring hit. Yep. South Carolina plus three hit with an outright yes. win. Alabama minus twenty one hit, and it was even a thirty point lead where you weren't sweating a backdoor. Just the <laughs> nicest kind of three score yeah. bet. Hess talking about those unders, man. Vandy, Mizzou under forty nine and a half hit by eighteen. Alabama, Mississippi State under sixty two. For the most part, I guess technically they scored at the end, but that thing was almost half of the total. Yes. That finished at 36, and then you also jumped on the South Carolina plus three, which, again, was an outright money line win. So that is six and 6-0 for the boys. Hester has cracked the 500 mark. He is 13-11-1. And CD, after his 3-4-0 or four and o week nine, will be over 500. He is 12-14-1. 14 and one, huh? Okay. Hey, we're, it's not about where you've been. It's about where you're headed. And right now That's we're right. on a bit of a heater. We're going to hope to uh, keep that going as we enter into week nine this week. We'll, we'll put those out. I'd like to say we're good about getting them out on Friday night, but uh, sometimes that doesn't happen until Saturday morning, but we'll definitely it's get one through up. four. We were, we were pumping them out Friday night, but now it's, yeah. it's a, we're just taking yeah. our time and thinking about them more. So yeah, we want it to marinate. It's got to marinate. It's we okay. As long last... as we get them by 11 a.m., we're good. Yeah. We need the last-minute info. We need reports from the stadium. Who, yeah. Who's warming up? Who looks good? We need all yeah. of the detail before yeah. we commit. To Dude, if you like don't that. use insider information, right. are you even gambling? I don't think <laughs> who's so. Who's doing what in the locker room? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, that's going to do what, it for – By the way, was that a Texas A&M reference? Was that a part of the Aggies? Okay. It was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, just use Google. It will quickly uh, pop up there for you all right it is always a lot of fun it is always our pleasure this has been week nine of pre-gaming the sec a couple of notes on the way out remember brought to you by walk on sports bistro walk-on.com go ahead go to the website today that's walk-ons.com to find a location near you also we have a youtube page if you're watching this you already see us on youtube go ahead and subscribe to that page it notifies you whenever we have a new episode out Always check the social media at pregaming the SEC on Instagram and Twitter, and also Spotify and Apple. You can find us there. Same name, pregaming the SEC. We will see you next week for gosh, week 10 mm. of the SEC slate. We'll see you then.